0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Polygreens podcast. I'm Joe Swartz from AmHydro, along with my friend and colleague, Nick Greens of the Nick Greens Grow Team. Nick, good morning. How are you?
1: Hey, good morning, Joe. Uh, wait, do we do we know how to do this still? <laughs> it does feel... Yeah, it's been a while. We've uh, Nick and I have both been working on a,
0: a number of projects, and so unfortunately, we've been way late a little bit but it's it's great to be back and to reconnect with you and talk about all things CEA we have got a lot going on in the industry and we've got a lot coming up in the very near future so we'll have a lot to talk about and a lot of uh, guests to have on as well so Nick why don't you bring us up to speed a little bit some of the things that have been going on with you
1: been you know focusing on the family and focusing on myself lately you know kind of i you know i was getting overwhelmed and and just kind of I, I felt like I was not focusing on the things that I were making me happy. So I needed to step back a little bit. Um, you know, I'm still involved with a lot of different projects right now, you know, some that I can't really speak of. Um, but, uh, right now I'm focused more on the medical industry, uh, you know, hydroponics, uh, you know, growing medicine.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You know, and that's an interesting point. Um, When, as CEA growers, you know, uh, when you step away from traditional farming, obviously that seasonality goes away. And so, one of the things that a lot of uh, very hands on growers can get sucked up into is kind of that burnout of constant day to day, month to month, year to year. Um, With a, a leafy greens facility, I've been growing leafy greens now for almost 40 years now. And you get stuck in that weekly cycle seeding, transplanting, harvesting, maintenance rinse lather and repeat and uh and and it's a lot it's a lot sometimes and it's hard for growers to get some downtime. so so for all your growers out there it's really important to try to you know bring in good people work with your team and make sure you give yourself a little bit of R and R time away from the from the business because it really can. But I think burnout in CEA is actually something that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's pretty common. So
1: yeah, I felt um, I also felt like I was taking care of my plants better than I was actually taking care of myself. And I mean, that's a good thing at the end of the day. But uh, when you don't when you go without a shower for a few days and and don't have the time. <laughs> you know, your, your wife can tend to uh, remind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that work-life
0: balance is very important. So um well, we're glad you're back and, and busy as always. And uh, yeah, we've had a lot with AmHydro. We've had a, a ton of stuff going on. We've got projects overseas as well as here and in, in the States and um working on some very interesting and uh, new technologies we'll be talking about in the coming weeks, uh, both in terms of grower management technologies, as well as some system automation technologies. So I'm very excited about that and really running a lot of that under the radar, but we're getting ready to kind of get some stuff out pretty soon. So, so that's really good. And we're really, you know, it's been a very interesting time in the CEA industry. I mean, we've seen a uh, few high profile uh, closings in the industry and a lot of discussion and debate about that, a lot of changes. A lot of some of the indoor farm models um, have been kind of shifting gears a little bit and changing their models. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I so.
1: actually do want to mention on one of the models that I, uh, Garfield produce. Uh, you remember uh, yeah, uh, Mark Thomas at Garfield produce, actually um, he has been offered. I don't know if uh, it's been done or nothing, but uh, they were buying uh, Garfield produce. So um, a big non-for-profit that does work development training uh, you know they train and as a carpenter they train all of these different trainings and they wanted the hydroponic to be one of their training programs so uh, the offer has been made uh, to purchase Garfield produce so uh, I feel good my baby is uh, growing up now you know
0: growing up and moving on that's awesome and um, yeah some really great folks over there and to see that So among the changes in the industry, that's actually something that we've been seeing a lot of as well and working on is that when you have, I mean, CEA has been looked at, obviously, as just a production model and a good one at that. But also when we start to look at models for things like economic development, job creation, job training, um, CEA really fits the bill. And we're actually working um, with a, a nonprofit in Torrington, Connecticut called New Opportunities. I think we've talked about it a little bit on the show where um, New Opportunities, which uh, is a charitable foundation, um, assists people in poverty situations, offers job training, offers meal programs, food access, nutritional counseling, you name it. And they do such amazing work, but obviously that's that's very expensive. They rely on grants and investment and um, the, the owners and, and managers of that um, operation came to us about four years ago now, and they wanted to develop a model where it was a, a, a thriving business that was generating money for the program. But also maybe if if everything worked well, they could use some of the aspects of running that business into uh, as part of their model. And they did that very successfully. So uh, New Opportunities created what's called the CT Food for Thought Farm in Torrington. It's a 12,000 square foot greenhouse and hydroponic uh, facility where they were growing leafy greens and doing so very successfully. And of course, the model is to develop revenue for this and other programs, which it's it's doing very well at. Um, but the, the greenhouse um, systems, the CEA process from seeding, transplanting, harvesting, all of that are very well systematized, if that's really a word. And um, But everything is replicable so training people that have no agricultural experience uh, sometimes people who are uh, chronically underemployed or have had previous challenges with employment this type of setup and this type of uh, facility offer some really great job opportunities for people like that and that's what they did they developed a program where they were providing jobs for people that were entry-level unskilled jobs where people are now training developing skills and of course, this great industry, but also developing s- skills in food safety, environmental management, environmental control, biopest control, all these different things. And, and a cool so-
1: thing also is a lot of these, um, a lot of this knowledge that you learn in the CEA industry, you, it crosses over to the traditional farming. I mean, eventually they can be driving a tractor because a lot of these bigger companies that are doing traditional farming. Uh, they want the they want the people with the horticulture background where they understand propagation, they understand nutrients, they understand a lot more than just seeding, watering, and fertilizing. You know.
0: Yeah, I'm actually surprised. I mean, being a farmer myself, that incorporated CEA into his farm, I'm actually surprised that more people haven't seen that crossover. But we're seeing it more now. And yes, it's true. I mean, this is an agricultural production method, so. Um, so the crossover between cea and traditional farming is becoming stronger and and i'm glad for that because because we're farming at the end of the day and how one person may farm with certain technologies another person is just farming using different technologies or techniques or in a different location but it is it all is all the same and i and i see we have been bringing a lot of people in from agricultural backgrounds into cea but I'm also now seeing people from CEA like yourself that are actually becoming more involved in, in traditional farming. Actually, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of your um, journey from CEA back into some more traditional farming as well.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, you got to think about it, right? When when you're doing hydroponic, I'm just thinking about medium. I'm thinking about trays. I'm thinking about lights. I'm thinking about airflow. But when you're farming outdoors, you lose a lot of that control. So now you're thinking about a tractor. You're thinking about, okay, so now how can I not till? Because I want to do no-till, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I do a no-till and and I keep that productive? You know, sweet corn, cilantro, like how do I do that? So there is a lot of little bit of learning, but also my background helped me get through this too as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because again, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is serve the needs of the plant. Whether you're doing it out in the field, in an indoor space in a greenhouse wherever and so yeah. that's important so so that's cool and that's and, and that's a trend that i think we're going to see a lot more of um oh and and so so back to ct food for thought so so they've been very very successful providing a, a number of 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 great socially driven missions from the job training um, economic development you know bringing more people in giving them good paying jobs um providing nutritious food to the community a lot of that food that they're producing actually goes into the food share system. So Connecticut residents who are receiving food assistance and and um, nutritional guidance are actually now getting better access to fresh, local, pesticide-free food. So everything has gone so well that now CT Food for Thought is in the midst of an expansion. So they're actually doubling their production space as we speak. Greenhouses are under construction. I was there last week and um, they're doing an amazing job. So yeah, we're going to be doing, we're going to be posting some videos and some more information about that coming down the road. But it uh, it's a really great project and I'm hoping to see a lot more of that here across the states and North America is that we're using CEA um, as a vehicle for a number of really, really good beneficial to the community type projects.
1: And where my background really, really helped me was propagating, right? I mean, yeah. I've been doing microgreens for so long that I, that's all I do is propagate, you know, like that's that's all microgreens is, is just propagate the little seedling, cut it, sell it, right? So that helped me because now, you know, I started my tomatoes already, And so now this month's coming up and this is the month where you want to start your onions, you want to start your lavender, you know, and then the peppers are going to be like in the middle of the month. So you got to start all the peppers and stuff like that. So propagation Mm -hmm. was the key that I, that I had under my belt. So that really helped me and you know, on the traditional side.
0: Yeah. Too many people think about finishing the plants, but really the propagation and you're right, Nick. The uh, this time of year, I mean, you know, a lot of people are still looking outside. And it's still pretty cold, and um, and dismal. But the growing season's coming, and days are getting longer, and we're we're approaching. So a lot of growers, both field growers and some greenhouse growers um, who do extended season, are now you know right in the midst uh, of propagation season, and um, yeah. so you've got obviously a lot going on uh, on your own farm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because usually, I mean, think the regular person don't hear about farming until they see the sales in the paper uh sweet corn you know then they know oh sweet corn's ready you know when you're when you're a traditional farmer i mean you you start planning as soon as january 1 hits you you better start having your crop plan ready to go and and start ordering your seeds and getting all that ready to go
0: yeah yeah we we've got a lot of good input from a lot of people interested in cea but also in traditional farming and and i think that's really important to kind of bring that back into the fold is to look at Different models, and and we have a number of, of growers who are traditional growers, and who are now also looking at season extension. So, so it's not again that traditional seasonal method. I, you're you're right, and even people who live in in agricultural areas tend to not really think about it until they see things out in the field. Um, you know, the, everyone always talks about that first uh, first time they drive down the road and they see the tractor tilling up the field for the first time in the spring. Well. Planting season and propagation is has been going on for for months that's in some cases already. So I pass many greenhouses, um, and I see the smokestacks are, are are going, and I see the lights on, and so there's a lot of activity going on inside. So it's a it's a it's a really cool time. One of my favorite times of the year, actually. As much as I don't like the winter, this time of year we're 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 bringing life back in, and so whether you're growing outdoors or in a greenhouse or a high tunnel. Uh, or even an indoor setting. That's, that's, the, that's really where the magic is. And yeah, I think you touched on it. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that is that when you're looking at your microgreens experience is how looking at seeding germination, ver, seed variety selection, even. Oh my
1: there- God. That's the, see you're, you hit that too. Like, so me and my wife were talking about ordering seeds and my wife's like, Oh, I'll order the seeds. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Like, no, you're not going to order the seeds. Let me figure out the seeds first that that's the that's the most crucial part is, is figuring out the genetics that you want to buy, you know, like, are you going to get a treated seed? Are you going to get untreated seed? Are you going to get organic? Is it heirloom? Is it, you know, is it an F1 type, you know, like, so there's this, there's this, all these things to really think about. And, and like you said, propagation is the key. Like if you can get the plant to start off its life, super, super, just like seamless, then that plant's going to finish no matter what, yeah. you know, it's like these corn seeds that, you know, I, I prefer to buy. There, there's no watering needed. There's, there's no spraying needed. These things are just going to do what they're going to do. You know, that's just what these seeds were, uh, um, were, were designed to do, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Some amazing work um, in, in terms of seed breeding and genetics, both from the standpoint of advancing um, the, the, the genetic makeup, um, and the plant qualities of seed but also we see a lot of coming back we see a lot of heirloom varieties a lot of legacy um, varieties that are also being brought back so I think that's a really interesting kind of dichotomy in the industry where we're looking again at a lot of older varieties for for certain reasons and for certain qualities but then also doing a lot and I think that um, getting Dan Ovadia from Floragen back um, who was with Bear Crop Science and who um, you know, understands the genetics. To yeah, such yeah a
1: definitely. Point. We have to dive into that more.
0: Yeah. Richard Blakey also from Paramount Seeds, an amazing, I mean, a brilliant guy really understands, um, the, the seed, and the genetics aspect, um, understanding again regardless of what kind of growing method you're doing is understanding the qualities one that you're looking for in a finished product but also your your environment you know if you're growing in a greenhouse or outdoors where are you what's the climate like what's the light exposure like you know relative you know relative humidities and temperatures and common conditions. Um, and as we go, of course, indoors or, or at, a, at a greenhouse CEA facility, we have a much higher level of control. But there's still a lot of parameters, like light levels, daylight, things like that. So finding te- out
1: temperature conditions too oh, of the yeah. genetic, you know, like people don't understand that. You know, why why is my um, you know um, tomato plants not germinating? Well, they're germinating in 60 degrees. You know, soil temperature 60 you're going to get, you know, a few maybe will pop, but you're not going to have a hundred percent rate.
0: Absolutely. So looking at that, making good decisions based on, you know, for seed selection, you know, variety and seed selection is really important. Talking with experts is, is very helpful if you don't understand a lot of that, but a lot of people now, you know, have a great understanding of that.
1: Or or just (laughs) reading the actual seed, you know, the little, the little Thing that they give you you know the little direction book that they give you just to read that or maybe you do a little bit more research on that to find as much as you can because usually they'll tell you the temperature the spacing and everything that about the seed
0: that's an excellent point i actually was going to say i i'm actually shocked at how uh, often people don't actually dig into the descriptions i mean the most seed catalogs and and seed websites have a really great description yeah. as and now following. johnny
1: selects has as you can even dive in deeper too they have growing tips and all that stuff too as well
0: yeah yeah i mean uh, there's there's so much information out there and i think that uh, a little bit of research really goes a long way but but again setting the tone for your production you know i've you know you and i have both uh many times talked in the industry about the importance of good propagation techniques, but it, it all starts with your seed selection. So going back. And you
1: know, I have an app that helps me. I'm not going to lie. I have an app that tells me what I have to seed this week when it has to get transplanted when, you know, and then I can log in how many times I water, take pictures of it, put notes, you know, and so it all stays in there. So that way next year I can go back to my notes. I can go back to pictures. I can go back to when I started compare them um, and stuff like that and create charts and stuff and collect data.
0: Record keeping and data as simple as you want it, like writing it on a notebook. I have I have almost 20 years from my greenhouses, almost 20 years of, I used to buy those calendar books, the Daily Minder that, you know, and I would write down everything. And of course, obviously it, it became computerized at some point. And now, you know, using AI and machine learning, if that's what you're, you know, you like to use really is a valuable tool. But regardless of whether you're doing something like that or keeping a notebook, the data, the the collection of your actual data, results, et cetera, um, and referring back to it is such a valuable tool. So if any of you are not taking notes or not um, keeping those records, please do that because honestly, um, especially in CEA, because your crop cycles are accelerated, your production seasons, you know, you're not doing a single crop a year, you're doing multiple crops, um, sometimes multiple crops per week.
1: Correct. Or every two weeks usually is probably like the key to to keep it.
0: Yeah. So that's a very interesting app. I think that's a great tool. And if it's something that you use and gives you the feedback that you entered in, although, you know, that's, that's just a great thing. So, you know, looking at germination, again, to your point of, of tomato germination, you know, the, the proper um, germination environment is so important and improper management of that is. And
1: if you have a variety like a tomato plant where, where, where it loves the heat, you want to make sure that that heat is consistent. Mm. There is no dip in that heat. I guarantee you, if you keep that consistent, like you will hit that 100% rate. 99% rate germination, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah most uh, most seed varieties that people use for greenhouse production, they have, you know, extremely high 95, 98% germination rates. So if you're not getting that, you really have to look at your germination environment. I was actually at a, a really fantastic growing facility down in Central Florida this last week. And they have a dedicated germination chamber, which is essentially a walk-in cooler But rather than cooling the atmosphere inside, they heat it to 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 99% relative humidity. And they they get lettuce seed cracking within two hours. They get super uniform germination. And one of the things to remember, and and I talk with growers about this a lot, again, germination sets the tone. And if your environment is not correct, germination still will happen most likely, but it, it is slower, it is more erratic. And here's the thing to think about: at a very specific temperature, ideal germination temperatures, and of course that that varies from from crop type to crop type. But your ideal germination temperatures tend to be ideal for that, but not optimum for different pathogens. So again, you're always you always in, in in any environment you always have different pathogens uh, present, whether it's Pythium, a Phytophthora, Fusarium, or what what have you, and so. If the temperature becomes too high or too low, that is going to inhibit your germination, but it also may stimulate the growth of pathogens. So literally it's a double whammy. You're slowing even down. Even a big
1: swing in your temperature too. You really don't want no more than what? Yeah. Maybe a 15 degree swing, no more. Or even
0: less, I mean, your, your point about the consistency is very important. Um, Yeah. Keep maintaining precise temperature control at all times is really important. And the more you can do it, the better results. And the
1: most important part, what is for me, from all my research I've done for, you know, for the last 20 years in propagating, I would say is when you put the light on the plant,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: when, how far the light is, how strong intense is the light. And Mm -hmm. the way I can tell, and that's just me, is the plant will tell me. Is it stretching up? Are the leaves outwards? Are the leaves still pointing up? Is the stem really, really uh, stretched out? Like you can really, really observe that. And that one right there is the most crucial part about germinating plants. Like right when you get them in that light, how far that light is just the perfect spectrum and everything.
0: Wait a minute! You're observing your plant response. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 oh, I talk right? to my
1: plants, Joe. We talked Shut about this. Well, you sing to them. I know that. They're and smart. then I figure you out who's the hierarchy. I know who the hierarchy is. <laughs> and... <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I hope
0: Nick's point was really well taken, everyone. Um, what Nick is doing, and 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 that was one of the things when I when I first met Nick almost ten years ago, uh, was working with him on a project, and his attention to plant response was phenomenal. And I think we all should take a lesson from that. Um, I mean, understanding the technologies and monitoring things like temperature and humidity, critically important, but not, well, no one that I had met up to that point had paid attention the way Nick did as to the plant's response to those conditions. And that's that's part of the art, where the art and the science of CEA really intersects. So, yeah, so you can say, well, we want to have a 70 degree temperature and a 65% relative humidity and X number of, you know, micromoles and on and on and on. But if you're not carefully observing and recording and replicating, um, you know, conditions that your plant responds best to. So things like your stem elongation, you know, are you stretching the plant? Is the, the radical not expanding enough? Is your germination uneven? Um, ideally, if your conditions are correct, your seedlings should look almost completely identical. And if there is much deviation or the more deviation you see in the, the size, quality, shape, configuration of your plants, that is usually telling you your germination and or early propagation environment is not correct. So just as Nick said, pay very close attention your plants will tell you almost everything. Well, maybe everything. They will basically tell you exactly what they need. But unfortunately, most of us don't listen. So so especially you know, early on here, we're, we're early in the season for a lot of growers. Um, this is really the time to kind of retool. And a lot of people, again, are looking at technologies, which are awesome. But at the end of the day, you have to follow Francis Bacon's Advice that's, you know, several hundred years old that nature to be commanded must be obeyed and, um, you know, you can, academic study is excellent, research, um, all is very important, but observation, I would say observation is your most valuable tool in the greenhouse or the grow room or outdoors. So that's really important, and um, and and I hope don't be
1: afraid to mess up. That's I think that's another way you're going to learn too.
0: (laughs) Hundred percent. In fact, you uh, you learn much better that way. So if you look at you know anybody like Nick or myself that have been in the industry a very long time, what you see is is a lot of the you know a, a great majority of the valuable knowledge and experience that we have is based on those major mistakes. Um, every once in a while, I still have a photo album right here on my shelf uh, of my, my first greenhouse back in 1984. And I, I'm very proud I thumbed the, through the pictures and show people the system that I built and the way I set it up and these beautiful plants and how well they're doing. And then at the very end, when you get to the next picture, it's a massive crop of tip burned lettuce. Destroyed the entire, my entire first crop was a major disaster. Uh, I'll post online some pictures at some point in the near future, but that that experience, while extraordinarily painful and very embarrassing, taught me a ton about environmental management. So um, don't be afraid to mess up. And it right? also
1: taught you what point you have to focus more on.
0: 100%. Exactly. Um, but again, who taught me that? The plants did. You know, um, uh, hopefully you won't have that much of that, that dramatic of a, of a lesson heading your way, but uh, you know, anybody who spent any time growing can, you know, the, everyone's got one of those horror stories at least. And, uh, and you know, I really like your point about observing and seeing what the plants are doing and then making adjustments and again, observing and very quickly you'll start to, to understand. I mean, we have basic parameters that we follow for things like germination, temperature and humidity and all that, but Every installation is different. Every variety, every crop is different. And, yeah,
1: so understand- and also make sure that when you are propagating to make sure that you're selecting the right size of medium, you know, like make sure that, you know, if you're, if you're doing a bigger plant, make sure it's in a bigger size. You don't want to transplant plants no more than one time, you know?
0: Yeah. So, I um, mean, again, you know, Nick has had probably more seedling plants, Passed through his hands than just about anybody in the industry, and um, and he's learned a lot from that. And again, his observation is is really the most valuable tool he has. Um, so there's a lot a lot of really great techniques. We're going to actually uh, in the coming weeks be bringing on more growing experts, uh, more technology providers. Um, there's a lot of information that's uh, we got to have o-
1: Oasis back on too.
0: Oh well, Vijay Rapaka just got a promotion um, uh, at Smithers Oasis and. Um, I definitely wanted to get him back and talk about he's um, now his reach is global. And I want him to to talk a little bit more about that. And Vijay a very knowledgeable guy and a great resource. Uh, hopefully, we'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks. Um, I, I I know a number of you will be attending the Indoor AgCon coming up. And that's actually coming up just in about a week and a half, about two weeks now. Two weeks. Um, February 27th and 28th, Monday and Tuesday. So what
1: is um, so, it? What will you be speaking on there this year?
0: Uh, I'll be on Monday. On the first day, I'll be uh, in a panel. Um, we're talking about roots and root systems, which um, is probably the most unsexy yet most important aspects of CEA growing. And I hope a lot of you will come on in. Um, I believe it's at 10 a.m. Please come to our uh, our breakout session. And listen, we've got a number of great people Um, who will talk about root management, development of root systems, um, how we manage our nutritional systems for optimizing our growth. Because again, what is CEA? CEA is a farming method that needs to have the, the critical intersection of productivity and positive economics. So in other words, you need to grow Good quality plants consistently, but you need to be able to do it at a price point that's going to allow you a profit. And so the management of the plants, the successful production, quality, et cetera, is critically tied to our root zone. So while I know sometimes people roll their eyes and go, oh, yeah, roots, okay. What are the little white things hanging on the bottom of the plant? But they are the key to your success and or failure. So um, we're going to have a lot, I mean, there's a lot of great informational sessions Um, Especially the
1: air, what is it? What do you call them? Air roots? The the more like... Oh yeah,
0: developing and and manipulating different root structures.
1: Exactly. uh, Pruning, pruning the roots with uh, Mm -hmm. you know rock wool and stuff, and explaining that too as well.
0: Yeah, there's a lot, and we'll we'll kind of get into it. The biggest thing though is we're gonna we're gonna really try to engage the audience and field a lot of questions, and that's something. So if you're coming to Indoor Icon, please come and bring questions um people tend to be hesitant about asking questions because they feel like you know it's embarrassing or they're showing that they don't know something or they think that their their question is going to be only unique to them and no one else really cares and the simple fact is if you have a growing question i guarantee you almost everyone else there will have that same question uh, last year when we were talking and someone raised their hand and said i know this is probably a little of a unique situation but I have and, and then he asked this question, and I see all these people in the audience all nodding their head and leaning forward and listening a little bit closer because it's something that you know crossed their minds, or maybe something that they've had experience with. And so so bring your questions. There's going to be a lot of really great, knowledgeable people there. And and listening. And no
1: question is a wrong question.
0: Absolutely. The only wrong question, again, and to be corny is the, the one you didn't ask. So <laughs> I continually learn things every day, and I ask questions all the time. So, um, so yeah, that's going to be a fun event, and there's a lot of uh, uh, events coming up uh, throughout the year related to CEA. So, and we're definitely going
1: to bring the roundtable back. We definitely have to bring some some roundtable discussions here as well.
0: Hundred percent. We actually have a bunch of people kind of already on tap for um, for some of these interesting discussions, but we also want to hear from you. Um, please continue to email and send us suggestions and questions and maybe guests that you'd like to hear from. So we can, you know, continue to bring, you you can
1: also go to my website. Now I'm going to be on Friday. I'm going to have the live chat going from, from Monday through Friday. Uh, So you can go ahead and just give me a, you know, just, you know, nine to five, you can definitely just email me and, or just go on my website and just send me a, a, a question. And what would
0: that website be?
1: that's uh, nickgreens.com
0: nickgreens.com go and ask mr green some questions and uh, and of course check us out on social media am has got a lot of stuff out there and um we welcome the questions the inputs even some complaints if you've got them um so so again we're we're, we're glad to be back we're glad to be to speaking with you and uh, talking about Controlled Environment Ag, and there's going to be some very interesting developments over the course of this year, I can guarantee you that. So we'll be talking about them, and uh, we definitely want to hear from you as well. So thanks very much for spending some time with us today. Nick, it was great to catch up with you and see you, and uh look forward to uh, more great CEA-related conversations.